0: Welcome back to another episode of the Transform Your Life podcast. I'm Angela Houck and today's guest is Craig Ballantyne. In today's episode, we are going to be diving into how to really be successful at anything that you put your mind to. So we're talking about the five pillars of success, how to create the perfect day so that you're really productive and still able to do the things that you want to with the people that you love. We talk about creating a good routine, creating not-to-do lists as well as to-do lists, maximizing the hours that you you're awake whether that's getting up at five or getting up at eight or whatever is best for you and how to eliminate distractions so that you don't get side railed as the day rolls on hope you guys enjoy so Craig Ballantine is a productivity and success transformation coach He's the author of the perfect day formula How to Own the Day and Control Your Life. Craig has been a contributor to Men's Health magazine for over 17 years. Today, he teaches high performing entrepreneurs how to squeeze more out of their days, increase their income, and make more quality time for their families in his perfect life workshops and work life mastery programs. Craig used his own advice to overcome crippling anxiety attacks in 2006, and today he's going to be teaching us all about his five pillars of success. I just have to tell you, Craig, reading your book and using your gratitude journal has completely transformed my life, so I just know that our audience is going to get so much value from the information that you share in today's episode, and I just want to welcome you and say I'm very grateful for your time.
1: Oh, this is going to be so much fun. I'm really excited to share my story, and and I want to hear more about how it's changed your life. So this is going to be awesome.
0: Awesome. So, Craig, let's just kick things off by telling everybody where you're from and, and what you're all about.
1: Yeah. So I grew up in Stratford, Ontario, which is the hometown of Justin Bieber as well, And so I'll never be the most famous person to come out of Stratford, Ontario, I guess. But that's okay because I grew up in a hockey town. And what I wanted to do when I grew up when I was in high school was be a strength and conditioning coach in the National Hockey League. And so that sent me down the path of going to this school called McMaster University. And while I was in McMaster University doing my um, master's degree in exercise physiology, I was starting an email newsletter about training. And I sent one of the issues to Lou Shuler, the men's fitness editor, at Men's Health Magazine, and he put one of my articles in the magazine, and that allowed me to have massive credibility in the fitness industry, and I started building a business around that in a program called Turbulence Training, which is not something that a fitness competitor would use, because it's, it's more like for a person who reads Men's Health Magazine, a busy father, or a, a woman that reads Oxygen Magazine or Women's Health Magazine, someone who's really busy, doesn't have maybe five hours to train per week, but, you know, has about three, and wants to lose weight and get in shape. And so I built this program based around interval training and high-intensity training back in 2001. I mean, it was, it was popular among strength coaches, but it wasn't really popular among the masses like it is now. So it was kind of new and allowed me to stand out. And I built a great career around that. And I was fortunate enough to help a lot of people with that program.
0: Excellent. Now let's dive into some of the challenges of that period in your life. So you mentioned in your bio a little bit about these anxiety attacks that were happening in 2006. So can you tell us a little more about those?
1: Yeah, so I got really fortunate in 2006 that all the work that I had done with my online business allowed me to stop being a full-time personal trainer. And so I was living in the big city of Toronto and really enjoying life, but also working a lot. So I'd probably work like 12 hours a day, and then I'd go out, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday night, very late, get drunk, hungover, and it all caught up with me. And so I ended up having these anxiety attacks where, you know, one morning I went, woke up and it felt like a sense of impending doom. That's the only way I could describe it. And it got worse and worse over the course of the day. And eventually, I had the symptoms of a heart attack. I had tingling from the top of my head down to the end of my fingertips. I had tight chest, elevated heart rate, I couldn't breathe properly. And that went on for six weeks straight. And I mean literally six weeks straight. I could barely fall asleep at 11 o'clock at night, and I could only sleep until about 3 o'clock in the morning. And eventually I gave up, and I went to the emergency room and walked in and said I was having a heart attack. And so that was kind of like the lowest point in my life. And it was all brought on by myself. But in addition, I'm kind of a wound-up person, type A person. And I was holding a lot of my emotions inside. And so that uh, is why I had them in 2006. And then I sent kind of set myself down this course and this path of trying to figure everything out, and I discovered a lot along the way and was fortunately able to overcome the anxiety.
0: Mm-hmm. And how did you do that? How did you get yourself out of that dark place?
1: Well, I decided uh, because when you have anxiety, it is just a real incentive to go and improve your life and improve your structure and and overcome things. And So I started doing yoga and meditation and Qigong, which is a standing meditation, and Tai Chi. And I really hated all of those things. But when you have anxiety, you'll do anything to overcome it. And so I didn't go on any pharmaceuticals, but I do recommend that anybody who has severe anxiety, you definitely go to your doctor, get checked out. And, you know, I went to the emergency room, not just once, but twice thinking I was having a heart attack. And they did a lot of physical tests on me. And and when they told me that there was nothing physically wrong with me, that was a big weight off my shoulders. Plus, I was learning how to breathe properly, which sounds kind of weird to know that you were not breathing properly for like 30 years of your life, but I wasn't. I was breathing from my upper chest with these short, shallow breaths. And when I did that, that would actually increase the carbon dioxide levels in your blood. And then therefore, that would increase the levels of epinephrine, which is uh, commonly known as adrenaline in your blood. And then that led to the anxiety. It was just this vicious cycle that I was going down with, um, you know, my lifestyle, the stress the, uh, you know, extreme work, the extreme partying, and then also the bad breathing. And so I learned how to breathe properly, you know, big, deep breaths in through your nose, fill up your belly, slowly exhale, that sort of stuff. And that allowed me to calm down. And I teach everybody now who's just, even if they just feel like a little bit of stress on a normal day, not like in a full out anxiety attack or anything. But if you do a big breath, and I learned this from Dr. Andrew Whale, who's a, You've probably seen him. He's got a big bushy old gray beard and he's always in Prevention Magazine, but he wrote this little article about doing a four-second inhale, filling up your belly, then hold that breath for seven seconds, and then exhale for eight seconds. And If you do it as little as two to four times, it will really, really reduce the stress. Because it activates your parasympathetic nervous system, which calms you down. And for anybody that's, you know, in a fitness competitor uh, competition training mode, you're probably going to get stressed out because obviously the training load is high. The calorie intake is low. Um, You might be using some stimulants. And so therefore, you're probably going to go through these periods of anxiety, which is, you know, kind of similar to my lifestyle at that time that then, you know, when I was all wound up, it really got to me. And you need to do this type of breathing to activate that sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system, which calms you down. And so that was a big breakthrough for me. And when I added the breathing to the knowledge that everything was okay physically and uh, just calming myself down, in my life, which we can talk about in a bit, and not just having massive freedom to do whatever I want whenever I wanted, I actually got me into trouble. When I put all of those things together, it... Made a huge difference, and then there was the icing on the cake, which was I went and got a chocolate lab, and I can—I'd like to tell a little story about that.
0: Mm-hmm. Go for it.
1: All right. So I read that when you get a chocolate lab, well, not just a chocolate lab, but when you get a dog and you pet the dog, it helps you reduce your anxiety. And I'd been thinking for a long time about getting a dog, and this was like, okay, it can also help me overcome the anxiety. I think I'm going to go and do this. So I drove out to this little town of Sunderland, Ontario, which is about an hour and a half north of Toronto. And I bought a chocolate lab, and I brought him back to the city that day, and I named him Bally the dog and he's twelve twelve years old now, and he 's a great old guy, but at the time that I got him, he was very stubborn and he didn't want to walk around the block. so the very first day I had him, I tried to walk him, and I was pulling him around and all you know all these uh, people in Toronto who were you know very uh, social justice and sympathetic, were looking at me and saying, "What are you doing there man you're, you're pulling this dog around you know, and they cast their shameful eyes upon me. And then the next day, you know, I thought, well, if the dog doesn't want to walk around, uh, I'll take him to the park and play fetch with him because he's a Labrador retriever, you know, keyword retriever. So I throw the ball, no dice, nothing. He doesn't want to play fetch. And he's never played fetch in his entire 12 years. He does not play fetch. It's so, so strange. Unless it's, unless it's fetch with something he can actually eat, he's not interested. So the third day that I had him I had to leave him in my tiny little apartment in downtown Toronto because I had meetings. So I left him and I came back about 90 minutes later and there were all these nasty notes on my door from my neighbors. I had this one uh, kind of bitchy neighbor. Uh, Mm -hmm. She never really talked to me very much except for when she left these notes on my door. And they said, you know what, if you don't uh, shut your dog up, we're going to get you kicked out. And so I realized he had separation anxiety and that I had bought the dog version of me. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so... So I have this little anxious dog. I'm anxious. I'm sleeping on the floor so he won't cry. It was it was a tough couple of weeks um, near the end of my anxiety attacks. But then I finally went, to, you know, got the okay from my doctor that I was okay. Did all of these things, and magically my anxiety was lifted. I had to fight a few anxiety attacks off over probably the next nine months, but today I, I don't struggle with them at all. I've mastered the breathing. I've mastered the outpouring of emotions so that I'm not stuck in my head. Uh, I spend more time thinking about other people. How can I be generous and giving to them? How can I focus on solving their problems rather than thinking of the problems in my head? And when your wheels are not turning about your worries and fears, you can really stay out of that anxious state. So I hope that was really helpful to some of the people listening today, whether they're busy parents or whether they're going into a competition or whatever it is. But those are the things that helped me. And I I really hope that they will help you too.
0: Absolutely. That's that's awesome, Craig. Thanks for sharing that with us. And I do want to get really deep into these five pillars of success because they are really your trademark and they are amazing ways that people can transform all of the elements of their life, not just trying to lose weight, just really making massive transformation wherever exactly they're at. So let's dive into that.
1: Okay. Yeah. So in my fitness business, I ran these before and after transformation contests. And I mean. We had so many customers in our business that, you know, if you get enough people entering your transformation contest, you can have some absolutely amazing like some of these people could have stepped on on stage and maybe placed in like the top five just from using my program. But um, no more bragging about that. But what I did was I ran these before and after contests three times a year for 10 years. So I ran 30 contests. They would send in their before and after photos after using my program, but they would also, most importantly, send in a 300-word essay of how they mentally changed over that 12 weeks. And this is where the gold was because on an embarrassing uh, point, about 80% people or 80 of people that would join my contest where I was giving out money, at least $1,000 to the winners, 80% of people would drop out within two weeks. And I, you know, I almost took that personally because I was like, I'm giving you money. Why are you not sticking around? It was so frustrating. And so I realized the people that stuck with the program, that won the contest, they had these five commonalities in in place. And I'll tell you about them, I'll list them out in a second. But that was in 2008 when I realized what the five pillars of success were. And then I looked back upon my anxiety uh, transformation, I realized, oh my goodness, I didn't know these five pillars during the anxiety attacks but they were something that I used to overcome the anxiety. So so they go like this. Better planning and preparation is pillar number one. Pillar number two is professional accountability. This is like having the coach in your life. Pillar number three is positive social support, which is like having the cheerleaders in your life. Pillar number four is a meaningful incentive. And pillar number five is the big deadline. The big deadline is actually probably the most important of them all. So – How's about I break them down? Does that sound good?
0: Sounds awesome.
1: Okay, so better planning and preparation than ever before. Now, anybody who's gone into a fitness competition more than once realizes that the better planning and preparation that they do, and probably the second time around, they can do better planning and preparation, they get better results. And it goes with anything in life. If you want to find... Of your life you need to do better planning and preparation about who you want to meet where you need to be and all of these things it, these five pillars work for everything in my anxiety attacks i had to do better planning and preparation about overcoming temptations about putting structure in my day and, and an end to my work time and making sure that i was not drinking too much caffeine and when i had better planning and preparation i was able to overcome it so that's the first pillar the second pillar is professional accountability, and again, this is like having a coach. So when you're going into a competition, you know they go to you to get coaching for competitions. That's why you are the expert, and so I went and got a coach um, at the time. I was getting business coaching. I was also getting coaching on yoga and meditation, and I was going to these experts because they, the professional accountability gives you two things that nobody else can give you, and that is, first of all, expert advice, and second of all, They are going to hold you accountable. They're going to hold your feet to the fire. They're going to look at you when you don't do the work, and they're going to say, listen, this is unacceptable. We need to have a a difficult conversation here because the third pillar of success, positive social support, those are just your cheerleaders in life, and they're just going to pick you up when you're feeling down. But if you mess up, they're not going to hold you accountable. They're just going to say, ah, you know what? Don't worry. You'll get it tomorrow. Now, we need that positive social support. And, you know, somebody's in a fitness competition, that's what they get from other people in their gym who are cheering them on and, and stuff. But you're not going to go to like, you know, Sally, who, who is your friend at the gym. You're not going to go to her for diet advice because if she's never been in a competition. But if you're having a bad day, you know, you'll go to her and, and, you know, maybe have a shoulder to cry on or lean on or something. But that's what we get from our friends at the gym is social support. Now, the fourth pillar of success is a meaningful incentive. And I made the mistake for so long. Of thinking that all you needed was any old incentive, like a monetary incentive would be enough. But, you know, 80% of people were dropping out of my contest and they had the chance to win money. So clearly money is not a meaningful incentive for most people when they get a couple weeks into a new diet and exercise program. They're like, you know what, that guy can keep his money. I'd rather have my pizza and my favorite television shows sitting on the couch. Mm -hmm. So what I realized was when I read these essays, this was probably one of the biggest breakthroughs from the essays was that the people who won the contest, you know, these 45 year old men and women from all over the world, they did it because their doctors said to them, like, you know what, if you keep this up, you're not going to be here in 20 years when your kids graduate college or when your kids have children of their own or heck, you know, you might, you might not even be here in five years. You really need, to change your life. And so that was a meaningful incentive that got them to stick to it. And that was really, really a big aha moment in my life, because I realized, even for my own personal transformations, you know, sometimes I'll say, I'm going to take up a new habit. And I drop out. And in reflection, I go, you know what, that habit didn't mean anything to me, it didn't really matter if I learned how to play chess, which is one thing I tried to do a couple years ago, Mm -hmm. and just totally didn't matter. But then, you know, with meditation, I had I had uh, tried it a couple times and, and given up. And then one year, I remember actually it was the date, it was January 31st of 2013, I said to myself, you know what, I really need to make meditation a habit. It'll help with the anxiety. It'll help with my um, comparison syndrome and my envy of other people and you know all the stuff that social media brings to so many of us. And I thought if I can take up meditation, it would be a real benefit to my life. And so I haven't missed a day of at least five minutes of meditation since January 31st. Uh, so that actually marks five years this week uh, you know, that we're doing this podcast is five years that I've been meditating at least five minutes a day. And most days are about 15 minutes. And it has made a huge difference in my life because there was a meaningful incentive that kept me going on it. And then finally, the big deadline, and I always capitalize this when I'm writing about it because... It really is the thing that keeps you going and gets you going. So the three ways that a big deadline helps us, and anybody who's a fitness competitor totally can, can uh, relate to this because they know they're entering a 16-week transformation or you know a 12-week diet or 18-week diet or whatever they do, they know that there's an end point. And first of all, that gets you going. That gets you into contest mode because you're like, okay, the deadline is 18 weeks. That's when the contest is. i got to start now and so it, the deadline helps us overcome the initial inertia now for the regular person you know just the regular fitness person if you wake up on January 1st and say I want to lose 10 pounds this year well this year is so abstract there's no real deadline to it and you can say you know what I can start tomorrow I can start tomorrow And the next thing you know it's October and you've gained another 10 pounds and you're like I'll wait till January 1st and so there needs to be that deadline to get us through the initial inertia second of all The deadline is very much like the meaningful incentive in that it helps keep us going through the tough times. You know, when you're six weeks in or eight weeks into your competition diet, you're like, oh, I don't want to do this again. But you also realize I'm halfway there. I'm halfway to this competition. I put in all this work and there's no way that I'm going to stop. So the deadline really keeps us going. And then as we get closer and closer, man, you get dialed in. You're like, "Okay, in this last week, I am going to, you know, do whatever with my water. I'm really going to get tighten things up. I'm going to do better than ever because I know that the finish line is right there. And that is the power of the deadline in the way that it helps us in three ways. Gets us going, keeps us going, and makes us go faster to the end. And when you put those five pillars in place, better planning and preparation than ever before, professional accountability, getting your coach or mentor, positive social support, being around your cheerleaders, your like-minded people, having a meaningful incentive that's from your heart and not just your pocketbook, And having the big deadline to get you going, keep you going, and make you go faster to the end. You can truly change any habit, overcome any bad habit, change your life in any way with those five pillars.
0: Amen. That was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That was amazing, Craig. So now you guys see why Craig is so dynamic and everything that he's putting out there is just so good. So let's dive into your book. Cause I know for me personally, I Can I interrupt
1: can I interrupt you for one second? Yeah. Yeah. So you met you, you described me as dynamic. If people go back and watch my YouTube videos from 2007, they will say, "Oh my god, this is a robot in a human's body." Like I was so boring and monotonous in my YouTube videos and ah. some some of some of those videos have been watched over 2 million times uh, on because they've just been around so long and they have the right keywords, but you, if you watch, you will just see like this person is so Boring. And so I used those five pillars to become a more energetic speaker. I did better planning and preparation. I would watch my videos, and it was so painful, but I would watch them and go, how can I do better here? How can I come off more energetic at the start? And I would practice, practice, practice. And I hired speaking coaches. I probably spent I spent a lot of money and I've hired multiple speaking coaches who have helped me craft stories and come off more energetic plus i've actually done 175 podcast interviews in the last 18 months promoting my book so that i've had lots of practice and then i have social support every time somebody you know watches a video and says man you were great or you know the compliment you gave me it makes me go and want to become better and then a meaningful incentive i really want to get my book in the hands of so many people so that's why i went out and became a better speaker a better Interview on podcast, better on video, and so now I'm very fortunate that one of my high energy videos on YouTube has more videos that, or more views. It has my best one has 2.6 million views now and it's high energy uh, compared to the old boring one, which I think is around 2.1. So I'm very fortunate about that. And then finally, big deadline, you know, I would, I would get booked for speaking and I'd be like, okay, I've got to get better. I've got to practice, 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 you know, for the speaking gig or, you know, for this next podcast, I want to bring the energy and I mentally prepare and I write down and, you know, now I've been able to tell these stories in a way that is just better and better every single time, even if it's just 1% better So that's what I've been able to do. And you can see, again, how those five pillars apply to anything. So I hope that people out there will take them and use them and teach them to their children and share them with their friends. And so uh, thank you for letting me interrupt you there.
0: Yeah, not a problem. Not a problem. I love the practical application that you're bringing as well because I think some people who maybe aren't even in the fitness space or even working on becoming healthier, I think that this is so applicable to every element of trying to become better. So I think, yeah, thanks for using that as a personal example even though you are somebody who's at the level that you're at right now I love that you're still continuing to learn and grow and become better and just continually improve versus staying stagnant with where you're at so that is awesome as well so diving into your book perfect day formula I want to know where did the inspiration for the book come from Craig
1: it really does, uh, does come from that Anxiety issue that I had back in 2006 and so you know, I was pretty regimented before then, but you know I realized uh, Slightly after the anxiety I didn't I no longer had to get up well, at six o'clock in the morning I'm gonna sleep in because that's what people who have internet businesses do is they sleep in to well, till whenever they want and they work late But I'm naturally meant to get up early in the morning. I love the peace of the early mornings. I love writing in the early mornings. And so I was kind of going against uh, my will, my, my best intentions. And so I realized one morning I woke up at 7.30 and I started checking my email. And I'm like, I'm feeling anxious again and this has got to change. And so I started doing a deep dive into the habits of very successful people and very successful writers. And I started getting up five minutes earlier every couple of days until I was getting up at about 5.30 and I was like, oh, I really like this. I really like this early morning time and I'm so much more productive. And at 9 o'clock when it comes around and, and I feel like, you know maybe I'll go and check my email. I don't feel guilty because I haven't gotten something done. So that is the, was the start of the whole structure thing and then I started coaching a lot of other entrepreneurs. So I had my first business seminar back in 2007, and I realized that you know so many of these people had great ideas, and they really should have been more successful, but what was holding them back was they couldn't figure out how to get more done in their day, because a lot of these people were like I once was, where they had full-time training jobs, and they were trying to do this on the side so i started coaching them and showing them how to figure out what i call their magic time which is a time of day when we're a little bit more productive than any other time of the day and just you know how to eliminate distractions and temptations because that's you know especially fitness competitors know this you need to stay away from temptations almost as much as you need to have your your meals prepared properly because temptations can ruin everything and it's the same with our time management and our productivity so what i did is I just started writing uh, essays. I bought this business called Early to Rise in 2011 and got really serious about bringing my coaching into a book, but it took me a long time. I, I didn't really know how to write a book properly, and so it took me way longer than, than it should have. Uh, but I remember fin- uh, f- um, signing off on the final edits in a hotel I think I was in the Ritz-Carlton in Istanbul, Turkey, which is, and I had this amazing view over the Bosphorus uh, Sea or whatever it's called, and it was awesome. It was just this, the sun was coming up, and it was just a magic moment because I knew the book was done, and it was going to help so many people, and, and I have been on a war path ever since of promoting this book, and we've gotten into over 25,000 people's hands. I'm really excited, and it's changed a lot of people's lives because it's given them permission to live life on their own terms.
0: So where would somebody start with the perfect day formula? Like how do you reconstruct your day so it's now going to be the most productive that it could be?
1: Well, the question then becomes what does the the best – most productive day look like for you when and when I call it a perfect day we're not talking about sitting around in a hammock and drinking that's my other book the margarita day formula which is totally different and a lot shorter but also (laughs) very helpful so the perfect day is like one of those days where you're like man I was so productive today and I really did things that mattered but at the same time, it, you know, today wasn't just about work, it was about getting those things done at work so I could go home and be present with my family or my training or my hobbies or my health or whatever it is. You know? And you just were like, why can't every day be like today? Now, in order to have more days like that, we really need to be clear about what those days should look like. So one of the very first exercises that I do with people is I say, describe your perfect day to me. Describe a day when you're really productive, when you have good family time, and when you feel like you've made a giant step towards your legacy, you know, leaving the legacy behind that you want to leave, whether it's business or family or or whatever it is. And then they describe it to me and I go, okay, great. Now we know what ideal looks like. Let's talk about what now looks like. And so I have people do something called a time journal. And actually people can download both of these forms at CraigBallantine.com forward slash free gift and if you go down to there's three downloads on there if you go to the bottom and get the beginner perfect life plan you'll find this thing called a time journal in there and also uh, designing your perfect day and so what I do with my clients is to understand their their current days I have them do a time journal much like a personal trainer and nutritionist has somebody do a food journal right most people don't really realize what they're eating You know, they think, oh, I probably only ate 1800 calories today. But then if you actually do a food journal, you find out, you know, you're really closer to 2500 calories and you totally forgot about these two cookies or this cookie that you had after work in between uh, work and dinner time. Then that's really throwing you off. So we do the same with their time. And I give them a calendar and it just says, you know, write down what you're doing every 20 or 30 minutes and how you're feeling. Much like when we, you know, connect. Our eating responses to our emotions sometimes, you know, I wasn't eating because I was hungry at three o'clock. I was eating because I was bored or I was eating because every day when I was a kid, I came home from school and I grabbed a chocolate chip cookie and I watched TV. And now I'm doing that as adult again because I'm all stressed out at work. And we find those same uh, situations in our time journal. So it's like 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm always on Facebook. Why am I on Facebook? Oh, it's because I'm, I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm stressed out because I have a meeting or, you know, I just need a break. And so instead of going on Facebook, let's have you go outside and do a five minute walk and that way you get refreshed and you come back and you don't waste 20 or 30 minutes on Facebook. So we're making those um, cause and effect, you know, it's classic scientific method. So we do the perfect day first, then we do the time journal to see what the day looks like now. And then we run through and we create a not to do list. So everybody needs a not to do list because that is super powerful. It's just like when you're dieting, you have a not to eat list. And, you know, you can't go to these restaurants uh, when you're in competition mode and so on and so forth. And so we need the same thing with our days. You know, do not check email until a certain time of day. Do not go on Instagram until a certain time of day until you've done something productive. Uh, Do not eat or drink food that's going to make you tired in the afternoon. So, you know, don't go to Burger King and eat the fries and soda. And when you build in these little systems, you can start... Crafting a perfect day, making it easier to have perfect days. And, you know, a perfect day might be kind of like a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You might never have a perfect, perfect day, but you are going to have some super productive days. And we do all of this, you know, discipline so that we have more freedom, true freedom in our lives. So we're very structured in our days at work. So we're not wasting time on Facebook so that we don't have to work overtime and we can get home and have family dinner that's not rushed. We can give our kids a bath or write them a, you know, read them a story or you know, play with them, go to their practices, not miss anything when we've done the work during the day. So that's why I put this together is because I want to I help save people from wasted time because it is our most valuable and precious commodity. And so that's what's driven me to do this. And that's how I help people and that's where I show them where to start.
0: Mm-hmm. I just want to take some time now to share a little bit about my experience with Craig's book because it has been something that I've been applying pretty aggressively over the past few months and I've had a lot of people reaching out to me asking me how I got started with restructuring my day. So, what I was noticing prior to changing my schedule was that I was waking up with my two year old son, and that was my initial like panic mode because then all of a sudden you're going and getting him and doing all the toddler related things and then I feel as though I have clients that I have to respond to and I'm just always playing catch up all day long versus having that structure. So what I decided using Craig's book was that okay I have to restructure what my entire day looks like to really maximize all of the things that I'm doing with my business with my role as a mom and and with my role also as a partner to my fiance so I decided with the restructuring of the day that it made more sense for me to get up between 2 30 and 3 30 in the morning spend that first bit of the day doing my meditation do my gratitude journal and then going to the gym for five and then when my son wakes up at 7 I've had a lot of time being incredibly productive so before I take him to daycare I have an opportunity to just spend an hour and a half completely engaged with him So having breakfast with him, being able to read books with him, being able to watch Paw Patrol with him or whatever it is that he is really needing from his mom at that moment and then I can take him to daycare, do my client calls throughout the day and then pick him up from daycare and be able to have a nice time in the evening with my fiance where I'm not on my phone or where I'm not being pulled in all of these different directions business-wise because I've got the business taken care of throughout the day and one interesting part about that is that Craig also mentioned the not to-do list and this is something that I suggest with a lot of my clients because creating those rules in your life can really create an amazing framework. So yes it means that I'm going to bed between 7 and 8 every night but Everybody in my life now knows that that is part of my routine and they know that I'm going to be going waking up early and that's part of my routine as well. And, and creating that framework really has created a ton of freedom. So Craig, thank you so, so much for sharing the information, for giving such a great framework that so many people are really going to be able to apply to their day. Now, would you be able to tell us a little bit about your daily routine and your not-to-do list?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so that is an amazing story that you just told. That's so so cool. And you know, it's just it's really set you free to be the best person that you can be, which is what we all aspire to. And so my daily routine, well, you know, what, before I get into it, I want to say one thing because right now there's a bunch of people who are rejecting this and they're saying, "I don't want to go to bed early." And that's okay because one of my best friends, a guy named Joel Marion, he used my systems and he was a night owl. And it's funny. So Joel's a very successful guy in the uh, sports nutrition world, and the fitness world. He sells a lot of uh, supplements and programs online. You probably got an email from him at one point in your life. And Joel used to work from 10 p.m. until 4 a.m. every day. And so he has a very large house in Florida and I go to visit him all the time. And I get up at four o'clock in the morning and he goes to bed at four o'clock in the morning. So when I would get up, my bedroom was right beside his office uh, when I stayed at his house he's a, in the guest uh, bedroom there and I would get up and I would go and say hi to him and then he would say oh it's bedtime and he would leave and I'd work in the office so we were like two ships passing in the night but he still used my systems the the pillars of success the rules for his life all of these things to dominate his days be very successful um you know he has a great family uh, two young amazing awesome girls, amazing wife, very strong relationship with all the in-laws, and so you don't have to go to bed really early. Now, the way the world is built, it's helpful to get up a little bit earlier than you are now, but you don't have to get up at 5 a.m., even 6 a.m. to be successful. You just have to get up at the right time for you. So as I like to say, it's not about the hour you get up. It's about what you do with the hours that you are up. It's Mm -hmm. not about the the hour that you get up. It's about what you do with the hours that you are up. The thing is if you get up at 8 o'clock and you have to be at work at 9, it becomes very difficult to fit in success in the way that the world is structured unless you have incredible level, levels of discipline where you can go home at night and do a lot of the priority things. But if you have kids or you know, if you're in a relationship – a new relationship that, with the person that wants to spend time with you you know, almost every night and watch Netflix and do all this stuff – It's pretty hard to pull yourself away and go and work from 10 o'clock till midnight like a lot of people say they're going to. So I actually believe that it takes more discipline to be a night owl than it does to be an early riser in this day and age. So having said all that, my schedule goes like this. I get up at about 3.45 a.m. because I like to be working by 4 o'clock in the morning. So I get up and I go down the stairs and my dog is 12 years old now. So about 50 percent of the time he'll greet me. Uh, 50% of the time he is just like sleeping like a log. But if he if he does greet me, if he does greet me, I'll, I will actually let him crawl on my chest and I'll pet him. Uh, we've been doing this ever since he was a puppy dog. And so that'll take like a minute. And then I will go and make a greens drink and I generally get right to work. Most people in this day and age, they either like to do some form of journaling or gratitude journaling or meditation or something. But or you know, a spiritual time with the Bible, but I go right to work. I'm a writer, and I just love to take everything that's uh, bubbled up in my subconscious over the evening, and I just write 1,500 words, whether it's a chapter for a book, or an article for my website, or a script for videos, or whatever it is. Now, today I wrote a team newsletter for my team. I've uh, been right I've written one every week for 308 weeks in a row. So today was team newsletter week, and. I just write, and then when I'm done, then I reward myself with meditation, uh, dog walk, a little bit of social media, breakfast, and then it's back to writing again, and then I train uh, right before lunchtime, and then the afternoon, I basically have a lot of these calls back to back to back. Uh, You know, Just before this, I was just having a call with the guys at Precision Nutrition about their their business. It wasn't a podcast or anything, but then I'm going to do another podcast after this one, Um, and then I have a call with somebody uh, later on tonight about uh, some event planning so it's just I get done early so usually I'm done about 4 and then I go to bed around 8 or 830 and you're just moving your 24 hours around it's not that big of a deal uh, you know if you have teenage kids and they need you to take them to a game at 8 o'clock at night then yeah you'll have to adjust and I adjust when I go for my work trips I'm often out twice a week until about 10 or 11 o'clock at night for business dinners and the next day I will generally if I'm if I'm in bed before 1030, I'll still get up at my regular time and then have an afternoon nap. Um, If I'm up later than 1030, then I'll sleep a little bit later. But going to bed and getting up at the same time on a regular basis was one of the things that gave me maximum energy. And I resisted this for a long, long time, probably seven years. My mentor told me about it when I was I've, I resisted it till I was 32. But when I started doing it, it doesn't matter what time you go to bed, you can go to go to bed at midnight, and get up at 8am. But if your body craves routine, and it's really, really helpful for you to do that, you will just you won't be dragging your butt on Monday morning because you couldn't fall asleep on Sunday night because you slept in on Sunday morning. So keep that in mind. But that's my schedule. And I'm happy to answer any other questions about it. And or you know what I do or how I you know made the transition. But it's really about getting that structure and routine.
0: Now for somebody who maybe wants to try getting up a little bit earlier, but can't envision themselves getting up multiple hours earlier, what's the starting ground for that? Do you say get up five minutes earlier, or get up 15 minutes earlier? What do you do as a transition?
1: That's a really great question. And. You know, I like to use the analogy of you wouldn't tell somebody who's eating pizza and soda every day to go on a diet of chicken and broccoli because you know that's not going to work. It's like saying, OK, you there, Mr. Cigarette Smoker, you're going to stop smoking cigarettes right now. Doesn't work. Cold turkey is just not going to work. And when people do, you know, go from getting up at 7 a.m. Uh, to 5 a.m., they have like these couple of amazing mornings. Like, oh, my goodness, I'm getting so much done. And then, you know, jet lag hits them and they, they sleep in and they go, you know what, this whole getting up early in the morning thing, it's ridiculous. It's a bad idea. So I'm with you. Like, and what I did was five minutes at a time. I think people only really need 15 to 20 minutes of being up before everybody else in their house in order to make progress on some of their priorities in life. And when I was a struggling personal trainer, when I was broke back in 2002, I was getting up at 4.30 in the morning, which was really early for me back then as a 26-year-old man. I was getting up at 4.30, and I'd work on my online business for 20 minutes. And I knew because I only had 20 minutes that I put in a really great 20 minutes. And I wrote some programs. I wrote some promotions. I did all of these things to make some sales for my business because I knew that then I had to get on – you know, have a shower and get on the bus in uh, High Park of Toronto and take the bus downtown to Rosedale where I trained uh, very successful CEOs – who trained at six o'clock in the morning. And I always wondered like, why do these people want to work out six o'clock in the morning? They're the boss. And I realized years later that that was the only time of day that they were going to train because as soon as they got into the office as a CEO, you have to deal with the, you know, our team members and meetings and all this stuff. So I learned that by training them. And then I trained over the course of the day and I'd try and go home and work a little bit at night, but my eyes were like burning from, you know, being awake for so long and I could, I could not do any work at night. But that 20 minutes in the morning, done repeatedly every single day, every single workday allowed me to build my online business up to the point where I could stop being a trainer. So what I recommend to people right now is five to 15 minutes earlier. And when you wake up, make sure that you have done your to-do list the night before. So this is a big tip that most people don't think about. Uh, If you get up and you're doing your to-do list first thing in the morning, I think you're already too late because if you're spending five, 10, 20 minutes on your to-do list, well, you're really robbing yourself of that magic time. But if you know at 5 o'clock every night when you're done work that you have to do this major project first thing for 20 minutes in the morning and you get up and you go right to it, you'll have more success. So those are a couple of tips that allow people to kind of hack their way. Like if, those, if people said like what are the one or two most important things from your book so I don't have to read it, Craig, um, then I would say get up 15 minutes earlier and do your to-do list the night before and throw in your not-to-do list as a third thing and you will be successful. And so for me, I don't allow myself to check email until after I've written those 1,500 words. I I really can't do anything until after I've done the writing. And for a while there, you know, I'm like anybody else. I struggle with the temptation of going online. And so for a while, uh, because my business is based in Denver, I had an office and an apartment there, and I just did not get the internet at home. I did not get an internet package at home. So I would wake up at 4 o'clock, and I wasn't going to the office until... 8 o'clock, well, I had 2 or 3 hours, I also went to the gym before work, I had at least 2 hours in there where I couldn't even go on the internet so I was, you know, removing the temptation, and therefore I got a lot done, so I have rules like that, and I don't take unscheduled phone calls, and you know, I I have very routine diet. You know, it's nothing extreme, but I just know what to eat for me and what not to eat. And, you know, I I, I mostly I just drink at cocktail hour before dinner and I don't drink anything after dinner because I know the alcohol interferes with sleep. So I just limit myself to one drink and a nice uh, social drink and that's it. And it keeps me out of trouble and I'm able to accomplish a lot of my goals while still having what I believe is a pretty darn fun life because I hang around. Uh, Most of my best friends are my business partners in one way or another, and I'm fortunate enough to travel around North America and the world uh, every year and see a lot of cool things.
0: And how do people eliminate distractions? So if they have all these distractions and noise that's going on all around them, how can they eliminate or or minimize those in, in their life?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. So. The th- the thing that you have to start with is a positive attitude, right? You can either sit there and go, "Well, I can't do this because." And actually, when you were telling your story, I was thinking, "This is so funny because m- both my best and my worst review on Amazon are from mothers." So one my my one star review from I think it's a one it might, actually it might be a three star it's a critical three star review from this uh, this lady on Amazon and she has one child and she says, "Well, this is not going to work for a parent." And my best five star review, very long review, is from a woman with three children who says this has saved me. This is, you know, given me freedom, just like you described. And so, it, what really matters is not, you know, any rules about overcoming distractions. It's about what you believe you can do with your distractions. It's like somebody going into a fitness competition and saying, "Oh, there's probably no way I can stick to this diet," or going in with the attitude that this is going to be an amazing experience. I'm going to stick to this diet. I'm going to prove to myself. I'm going to prove all these people wrong. I'm going to do all this stuff. Yeah, it probably won't be easy and fun, but I'm totally going to do it. And that's the way we have to look at distractions. And so if you have a couple of toddlers, you can either say, there's no way I can get up before them. Or you can say, well, you know what? I can get up and not leave my bedroom. And I can have a tiny little nightlight over on my desk so I don't wake up my spouse. And I can just kind of get over there quietly And, you know, I can read my Bible for 10 minutes or I can, you know, write in my journal and I can have this victory. And it doesn't matter what happens over the rest of the day. I had this 10 minutes of quiet time. And you can either look at distractions like that way that they're going to be solved somehow. Or you can look at them as this giant obstacle in the way of life that, uh, you know, you're just not going to be able to get around. And so it's really how you view things because everything is a solvable problem, just like everything is a learnable skill. And if you look at life like that, with that attitude, that everything has a solution, then you're golden. You're going to be able to overcome any distraction in your life.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I think perspective is certainly everything when it comes to making changes in any respect, that's for sure. Now, if you could travel back in time and and you're looking at yourself as a young Craig Ballantyne and you have 15 minutes to just have a conversation with yourself when you're first getting started in this space of business what would you tell yourself?
1: Oh I would tell myself to grow up you know you're, you're, you're 29, 30 30 years old and you're going out three nights a week like dude you're, you're too old for this stuff you have way more. you have way better things to do with your life you have people to help you have an impact to make And you know what? Stop being so cheap with uh, your money and hire a coach because I could have hired a coach in 2003, but I didn't hire a business coach until 2006. And when I finally did, surprise, surprise, my business increased exponentially, and I was able to open up more free time to overcome my anxiety, and everything improved. And he actually put me down the path to helping me buy the business of my dreams, this business called Early to Rise – and so I really just need to grow up a lot sooner than I did. And, you know, I'd give myself a kick in the butt and say, otherwise, you know, you're doing OK. I'd tussle my hair a little bit to make myself not feel so bad. And then I'd uh, say, now go uh, go have that impact on the world. Be the person that you know that you can become.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. That's amazing. And you mentioned early to rise there. So let's dive into that amazing business that you have. What can people find if they're to head to earlytorise.com?
1: Yeah, so this business has been around since 2000. I bought it from my mentor, a guy named Mark Ford, and I bought it from him in 2011. And Early to Rise has been a website that has thousands and thousands of articles on building your wealth, and you know, owning, you know, starting a business, owning a business, managing a team, um, you know, learning how to become a better writer, how to write books, how to have great family relationships. It basically it's about health, wealth, and uh, personal development and success. And so. I continue to write the articles on that site, and we also have guest contributors. And so, really, whatever you're looking for, whether it's personal development, health, self improvement, or you know, wealth improvement, you'll find the uh, the resources that you need there. And we just have thousands of free articles on the site. And so, I'm really grateful that I was able to take over this business from my mentor, who was ready to move on to other things. And it's been a really great experience, and it's just it's, it's something that I wanted to own when I, in 2006 when I hired my first business coach and he helped me buy it five years later. So it was an exciting time and uh, now I'm working with my mentor to bring bring him back and maybe create a new wealth building product for our, for our readers.
0: Very cool. You have two more cool projects that I want to share with our audience. So the first thing I want to talk about is your Toys for Tots charity drive. What's that all about and how could people get involved if they wanted to contribute to your charity?
1: Okay, so this is something that was started in the United States by the United States Marine Corps. And again, I mentioned earlier that I have a business that's based in Denver, and my business partner lives there. And a couple years ago, it was like six or seven years ago, he read in the Denver paper that the Toys for Tots Marine Charity Drive was short by 30,000 toys. So get this, in major cities like Denver, every year they need about 100,000 toys to give out to underprivileged children who probably wouldn't have a toy on Christmas. And that just blows your mind because I know – when I woke up on Christmas even when I was a poor farm boy you know we had like five or six presents under the tree for both me and my sister so imagine waking up and having nothing and so it really struck a chord with us and we have basically a three day event we invite all our entrepreneur friends down to Denver we do a big business seminar on the Friday then on the Saturday morning we bus Geez, about 100 people to local Walmarts, and we all open up our pocketbooks and we buy as many toys as we can. Last year, collectively, our group of 100 plus people bought $111,000 worth of toys. Uh, That's a lot of Hot Wheels, and it's really awesome. And we put them in these big marine trucks, and they take them to distribution centers and donate the toys uh, to the community centers, and they give them to the people individually. And then at night, we have a big Christmas party. And so, this is something that anybody in america can get involved with in their local town or city um you know you'll like probably in every city over a hundred thousand people you'll find a toys for tots drive and they have different um, toys for toy drives here in canada you know you're you're um i know in toronto they have the firefighters do them and stuff like that so everybody can just get involved in their local area and if they're in denver you know maybe they can come by and help us because you, in order to buy hundred eleven thousand dollars worth of toys, you need a lot of people running around with carts. <laughs> um, <laughs> because you can get about four hundred dollars worth of toys in a cart. And uh, this is my big charity. So I usually spend about fifteen to twenty thousand uh, dollars personally every year and that's about 50 carts worth of toys. So I need a lot of help. Uh, so people can you know, get a hold of us if they're in the Denver area and maybe join us in.
0: Cool, very, very cool. And just as the other project I want to talk about is your gratitude journal. So I mentioned this a little bit at the beginning of the podcast, but I actually have two copies of the gratitude journal that I want to give out to you guys in the audience. So the way that you guys can participate in that giveaway is by heading over to iTunes, leaving a review, and too lucky, people are going to receive those gratitude journals so Craig can you tell people what is in the gratitude journal and what they can expect from it
1: absolutely but first let's make it five so you know um, we'll make it five people and you can pick three additional winners and just let me know and I will send those out from our office as well Awesome. Okay. So the gratitude journal is something that has truly changed my life. And I know that people use life changing a lot, but it really has because I was a, you know, back, I mentioned before, I was kind of like this monotonous robot, but I was also very skeptical and cynical, which served me well during my time as a exercise physiologist in in university as, as I was getting my master's degree, because that's what you're supposed to do is be skeptical of research. But when you're cynical in real life, it's not very helpful if you don't trust people and you're not grateful and you're scarcity minded. And so what I needed to do was um, learn about gratitude. And so I learned about gratitude from a friend of mine named Vishen Lakiani. He runs a company called Mind Valley in uh, Malaysia. And then my friend Yannick Silver, who was one of my first business coaches and these guys taught me to have gratitude. And then I just basically built my own gratitude journal and it's something that I use every day and that, you know, Thousands and thousands of people have bought our gratitude journal and use them every day, and it also has changed their lives. So if people like to do journaling and they like the idea of just writing a little bit down and being grateful for some of the things in their life, they can, uh, they can you know, hopefully win one from you or grab one from our website, but it really will make a difference in you or anybody who needs to have that change in mindset about how there's a lot of abundance in this world.
0: Yeah, and I just wanna add, guys, is it's so much more than just a gratitude journal, because yes, you're gonna put in there your appreciation, and yes, you're gonna put in what you're grateful for, but what Craig has done is really stepped it up a notch. So he's also put in number one priority, which can help with productivity, and then five accomplishments from the day, and these can be the smallest of little things. Maybe it was that you stayed on track with your diet, or maybe it was that you completed a newsletter, or maybe it was that you spent time with your son could be absolutely anything, but he's put that as part of the gratitude journal as well. So it's also a celebration of your success and also gives you an opportunity to really organize your time over and above just being grateful, which is cool.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. There's a, one thing in there that I got from this guy named Dan Sullivan, where you list these five little achievements. And he said, this is one of the most important things you can teach your children for them to you know, reflect on the day and say, you know, what did I achieve? So that they, they start getting this, you know, mentality that, hey, you know, every day is a great day to celebrate and have progress. And so I thought that was really cool. And that's why I added that into the gratitude journal.
0: Mm, I love it. That's awesome. We're just going to wrap up today's episode with a couple of final questions here, Craig. So is there any upcoming events or projects that our audience might be interested in checking out that you're putting on in 2018?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if you're a trainer, you should definitely check out Fitness Business Summit, which is in March in San Diego. Uh, so fitnessbusinesssummit.com. That is uh, that is put on by my friend Bedros Koulian, and I speak at it every year, so I'd love to see you guys there. And then I have a big event also in San Diego. It's called the Perfect Life Retreat, and it's a real deep dive into the next level training Uh, that you would get from the perfect day formula. So if you read the perfect day formula, like, yeah, I like this. I want to go to the next level and figure out, you know, to build the vision for my future and, you know, and figure out more about, you know, priorities in my life and how I can accomplish great things. Then we'd love to see you there. So that is November 8th and 9th, 2018 in San Diego. We do it that weekend every year. And there's about 250 to 350 people there, and I'd love to see you there. It's a really fantastic fun time.
0: Cool. And one final question that I wrap up every single episode of the podcast with, and that is how would you like to be remembered, Craig?
1: Ooh, I would like to be remembered as somebody that helped people become the person that they knew they could become deep down inside. Like Everybody has this vision of like, I know I should be, you know, this person. I should be a little bit better here. I should be a greater parent. I should be, you know, I should have a book. I should I should be a better leader. And I wanna be the person who helped them become the person that they need they, they knew they could be.
0: Mm, That's awesome. Very, very good. Well, thanks again for your time, Craig. It's been an amazing interview. I know that our audience is going to get tons of information from all of the things that you shared. So thank you for your time. I'm grateful.
1: Oh, this was awesome. This was one of the most fun interviews I've done. And again, I've done 175. So thank you. It's a great interview and you rocked.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Craig. Have yourself a good day. You too. That's a wrap for another episode, guys. Thanks again for tuning in. And I really hope that you're one of the winners of the gratitude journals that we're giving away. So five copies. All you got to do is head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Let us know how you feel about the podcast. Are you liking what we're talking about? Are there some good takeaways that you've been able to apply to your life? I'd love to know what you guys think. Hope you guys have an amazing week and we'll catch you next time. Bye.